0: You're listening to The Semi-Failed Writer. This is a show about my life experiences, my love for entertainment, and, of course, my failures. Look, you got balls now. Use them. Say, baby, what's happening? I'm a lean, mean sex machine, and that be the way it is. Say, baby, what's happening? I'm a lean, mean sex machine, and that be the way it is. (laughs) I think you'll pass as long as you don't move. (laughs) I'm gonna do it. I'm going to take that article to Sturgis Water and I'm going to submit it as a guy. He makes perfect sense. Got a problem? You're getting (laughs) dragged. You don't think I can do it, do you? No way. But I'd love to see you try. (laughs) (laughs) Hello again and welcome to episode 22 of The Semi-Failed Writer. It is time for another dumb film debate and this one's definitely dumb. I rewatched both of these films and I would say they're just as bad as maybe The Adams Family and The Beverly Hillbillies, but I got to go through with this. I had an idea in my head, it just stayed stuck there and I just kept thinking about it and so I had no other choice but to follow it through. So this is what you get today. And I don't even remember what the The catalyst was what triggered this uh, theme that I'm going to talk about today, which is cross-dressing. Cross-dressing is nothing new, and it shouldn't be considered taboo. It's a relatively new term that had been coined in the 60s or 70s, but the concept has got its roots in religion and culture. Think of Hinduism, Ladyboys of Thailand, English theater. Remember, centuries ago, these acting troops were all male and so they had to play both the male and female roles on stage. And speaking of theater, cross-dressing is something that has been in entertainment for quite some time. It has been a storytelling device for centuries. Are you guys familiar with Shakespeare's Twelfth Night? That's the gold standard. That has been the inspiration for many stories that we are familiar with today. I can think of three reasons why cross-dressing is used as a storytelling device. One, It's curiosity. Putting on a different set of clothes puts someone into a journey of self-expression and understanding and accepting the gender identity. Two, it's used as a disguise. Someone's trying to hide from people that are going after them, like someone like it hot. Or they're trying to infiltrate like a social circle without getting recognized. And three, they're facing discrimination. Sexism is involved. They believe that if they dress up as the opposite gender, then maybe they will now have an advantage and their talent and work will finally be recognized. And that is what we're going to focus on on today's debate. There have been some incredible stories about women in particular dressing up as men to buck gender norms and to get some respect. Think Yentl, Think Mulan. And no, those are not the two movies we're focusing on today. One of them is from the 80s called Just One of the Guys, and the other is from the 2000s called She's the Man. I'm sorry, I know there are better films to talk about, but I have seen both of these movies before. I'm pretty familiar with each of them, and today we're just going to see how teenagers in high school are realizing early on that they should be seen as equals. And I'll tell you now, I will do another debate in the future where we talk about men dressing up as women, I will have Tootsie up against Mrs. Dotfire, Both great films. And so, yes, I'm going to do that way in the future, but today this is what you get. So let's get on with it. In the red corner, from the year 1985, directed by Lisa Gottlieb, about an aspiring journalist who cuts her hair and stuffs socks in her jeans, it's Just One of the Guys. And in the blue corner, from 2005, directed by Andy Fickman, about a soccer star that convinces everyone she's her brother, it's She's the Man. (laughs) The rules. Seven rounds, one point after each round, the film with the most points wins. I'm doing this solo again. I will be arguing both sides. Eric is still doing a lot of work, and honestly, I did not want to put him up to doing this, so he gets a break. Let me start with my opening statements. Being a pretty girl can have its advantages. You can become popular. You can get courted by many suitors. You can fit into skin-tight pants and look good in them. But what if you want something more than that? Then you'll just end up with a bunch of doubters. Oh, you want to be a writer? How sweet. Maybe you should know your place. Go into modeling. Marry a nice guy, rich guy. Have lots of babies. Oh, oh don't worry about the important stuff. Let the men take care of it. This is not an acceptable response for Terry Griffith. She has one dream and one dream only, and she won't let anything, including her gender, get in the way of it. Just Wonder the Guys has elements of other famous teen movies from the 80s. It's got the raunchiness of fast times at Ridgemont High and a dynamic female protagonist like those in John Hughes films. Along with a quirky group of supporting characters, this is probably one of the best films to be set in Phoenix, Arizona. Actually, there aren't many films set in Phoenix, but my point still stands. Now, the U.S. women's soccer team has been a powerhouse in international play. Just last year, they won their fourth World Cup championship. And since they had the attention of the entire world, particularly their home country, they had something very important to say. Equal pay. Historically, the women have been performing much better than their male counterparts, but they're only getting a fraction of what the men are getting. And it's not just about the money, it's about better access to training, better travel accommodations. Just an acknowledgement that the women are just as good as the men. That is Viola Hastings' struggle. After the girls' team has been cut from her school, she can't even join the boys' team. So her motto becomes, if you can't join them, beat them. She's a man follows Viola as she leads a double life. But the film itself doubles as a romantic comedy as many of the supporting characters are trying to figure out who they think they should be with and who they want to be with. It's a juggling act, but that just means that there is not a dull moment in this movie. Let's start with round one. Round one is story. I'll start with She's the Man. Viola Hastings. She is a tomboy and elite soccer player. The girls team gets cut from her school, like I mentioned a minute ago, and she also has to cover for her brother, Sebastian, who's going away to London for two weeks. She decides to kill two birds with one stone. She disguises herself as Sebastian and tries out for the boys soccer team at a rival school called Illyria. The goal for her is to get on the team, get on first string and beat her alma mater, Cornwall in a head to head match. And she wants to do this to prove that women are just as good as the men. And as fake Sebastian, Viola first has to get accepted by the other guys on the team because she is incredibly awkward and she makes second string on the team. But she gets help from her friends and her love interest, Duke, to be fully integrated. And about the juggling act I was telling you about, there are a lot of twists and turns, but I will try to have this all make sense to you. Viola starts to develop feelings for her roommate slash teammate, Duke, but Duke likes another girl, Olivia. But Olivia likes Sebastian fake sebastian but is willing to date duke to make fake sebastian jealous viola also has to avoid sebastian's crazy ex monique and commit to her responsibilities to junior league including volunteering at a carnival and attending a debutante ball yes there is a lot going on and viola's cover is ultimately blown but everything works itself out in the end she beats cornwall in a soccer match she reconciles with duke her parents reconcile, and the real Sebastian dates Olivia. Now, something I really liked about this movie and the story is that it's a very fast intro. We establish very quickly who Viola is, what her challenge is going to be. It establishes the relationship between her and her brother, her and her mother, her and her ex-boyfriend, everybody. And then it goes into a quick montage where she's slowly transforming into a man and starting to learn their mannerisms. And so minute 12, boom. Act one's over. She's there at Elyria, ready to go. And you know what? I don't think Viola ever gets a break in this entire movie because she has to stay at this new school and be Sebastian 24-7. Every single moment she has to try to say the right thing and do the right thing in order to keep this ruse. That is dedication. Well now let's move on to Terry's story. She's an aspiring journalist, She enters a competition and the prize being an internship at the local newspaper, but she isn't even considered a finalist. A big reason why is because her teacher, her mentor, doesn't have full confidence in her writing and believes she's better off doing something else. Subtext, women shouldn't be journalists. So she decides to enroll into another school for two weeks, pretends to be a guy, but still goes by the name of Terry. That's the beauty of having a gender neutral name. And she hopes that the same writing sample will be considered for the internship, but the teacher there also doesn't believe it's good enough, and it has nothing to do with gender. So the next step for her is to write a brand new article, and it'll be about taking a nerdy guy and grooming him to become a confident and charming man. And that guy is Rick Morehouse. But the cooler he becomes, and the more desirable he becomes to other girls, Terry gets more infatuated with him. Terry tries to keep this experiment a secret, especially from her college boyfriend, Kevin, but her cover gets blown as well. Things still work out for her in the end. She wins the internship, and after some time apart, Rick forgives her for the deception. And what's great about this movie is that Terry cares about winning the internship, but it doesn't feel like that's all she focuses on. It comes close. But you forget sometimes that she is doing all of this for a newspaper gig. A lot of the time you're seeing Terry developing relationships or losing them. And I feel her developing a genuine connection to Rick. And the movie takes the time to focus on some of the supporting characters and their stories. Remember you have Terry's brother, Buddy, who wants to lose his virginity. That's all he can think about. And her best friend, Denise, has a hard time finding a suitable boyfriend. These aren't world-changing stories, but you become invested in more than one story there's a little more depth in that respect. So now we got to decide which one has the better story. I believe neither of these stories have very low stakes. Like it would be bad if neither Terry or Viola reaches their goal, but it's not the end of the world because ultimately I feel that there are bigger things ahead of them. There's still a possibility for Terry to become a journalist even if it doesn't mean getting the internship. Viola can still be an incredible soccer player. She just got to she's got to find a way to get into college, get a scholarship, and start working towards that. And both of these stories are very similar. They do very similar things in each. So you have, like, these women who are attracted to the male version of these people and they're trying to fight them off. You have the scene where it's the shirts versus the skins and the women are trying to get away from being the skins on the team. Um, they have the scene where both of their worlds collide and so they have to go back and forth dressing up as men as women and back as men back as women and then of course the big reveal confirming that they're actually women both of them remove their shirts reveal their chest and it confirms that they're in fact women so the thing that we need to consider is the timing of these movies like the pace of it and the believability so i think for she's the man it definitely moved a lot faster and i felt that that was keeping me more engaged because a lot was going on and I had to keep up. I also do believe that someone like Viola would be able to get into another school, disguise herself as a man, and get on that team. I believe Viola has the talent to be able to do that. There's a lot of other stuff that I find hard to believe there, but I'll get more into that later. Now with just one of the guys, I did find it hard to believe that Terry could skip her own school for two weeks and then enroll somewhere else. But there were two things that I found to be very moving and that I believed more than I did with She's the Man. First, near the end of the film, she has a moment with her her mentor, Mr. Raymaker. He admits that he had been wrong in underestimating Terry's abilities as a writer. And he apologizes and shows great admiration for her and what she did. And she shows the same respect to him and thanks him for everything that he has done to make her a better writer. So having that mutual respect and adoration for each other was very touching. Now the other scene is where Rick reconciles with Terry. And many months go by between the time that Rick discovers who Terry really is and the time when they decide to to get back together. And I totally believe it that at first Rick will be confused, he will be upset, and... It will take a lot of time for him to process what had just happened, read Terry's article, and then think about maybe having a future with her because he does miss her. For Duke to reconcile with Viola, it takes a week. He barely has time to process it. And then the very next week he decides to go to her ball and he starts kissing her and happily ever after. And that I don't buy. And so the more convincing story for me is Terry's story. And so just one of the guys Is going to get the point on this one and there's something else i want to bring up too i find it really funny that in both movies the only way they they convince people that they're both women is that they have to flash the girls now there's two things that i i want to point out about that one i would imagine both of them would have had some body wrap around it to flatten the chest so that they don't pop out And so if they're going to make that big reveal, they'd have to lift the shirt, but then they'd have to unwrap this bandage around them. And I know that doesn't do well for a film. You just want to get to the chase. So suspend your disbelief. But the second thing too, I imagine these stories taking place in 2020. And I feel like if they did the same thing, men would still not acknowledge that they're women. They would not be convinced. So if you had Terry in 2020, if you had Viola in 2020, and you have Duke and Rick, they're like, no, I can't believe it. You're not a girl. No, you're a dude. And then they both flash the girls, they would still say fake news. Nope. That's just we're a bunch of morons that we can't believe in the experts on anything. We need to find another way to to do the gender reveal and be convincing to people or this is this type of storyline is going to die out. Anyway, on to round 2. <laughs> Round two is dialogue. I will start with just one of the guys. The thing that I want to focus on is uh, Terry's younger brother, Buddy, who I believe has the best lines. Yes, he is a sex craze maniac. That's all he can think about. That's what a teenage boy does. But the way he speaks about it, it's not very juvenile in a way. He still seems intelligent, but he, you know, is still thinking about his carnal desires. And I don't know why this one line sticks out the most, but whenever he's trying to teach Terry how to be more like a man, he's trying to show Terry how to scratch herself in her crotch. And Terry says, well, my balls don't itch. And he says, all balls itch. It's a fact. I don't know why that stood out, but I feel like he's speaking on behalf of all men about something that they have to deal with every day. The other thing I like about Buddy is his banter with Terry's friend Denise. He's always trying to make advances, always trying to convince her to get with him. And she's finding very creative ways to insult him. So one of the first times she says, you know, if we were the last men and women on earth, mankind is going to go extinct. Another time she's like, I'd rather pick a name out of the phone book than get with you. So it was funny to have that back and forth. They were almost acting like brother and sister, except there's a sexual element involved. And then the other interesting dialogue or like a great scene where there was some good dialogue is when Rick finally stands up to the bully, Greg Tolan. They're in the cafeteria. He gets up on a table and he just breaks Greg's ego and trying to figure out like why he likes to bully other people because he's overcompensating and, and this and that. And then at the very end, everybody drops food on him and he becomes a hero. But that was a great moment for him to be able to finally get a backbone and stand up to the bully. And that really cements his status as a cool guy. And of course, one line that kept being said over and over is from Greg, where he says, No pain, no gain. That's just something that sticks with you. Now, as she's a man, there's a lot of absurdity in this movie. So for Viola, pretending to be Sebastian, pretending to be a man, she is continuously awkward. She says the weirdest things that she assumes men talk about and calling them bros and homies and uh, put some dirt on it or something. But everything she says doesn't sound natural, but it's more about making this film funny than being realistic. And then there's weird dialogue with Duke when he's trying to have a date with Olivia. Earlier, he was practicing with Viola and having conversation about Do You Like Cheese? And that was in one way effective when it worked for her but when he's trying to bring that to Olivia it's just a mess it just shows how bad of a talker Duke is around women one of the lines that I really liked that made me laugh out loud is when they're in the classroom and Olivia nods at fake Sebastian and everyone's like oh she nodded she gave the nod oh she gives great nods and of course that's supposed to mean something else but I liked how they put it together like that I don't have much else to say about dialogue none of it was particularly smart maybe it was a little smarter with just one of the guys and so I believe I'm going to give the point to that movie because everything in she's the man it seemed like low-hanging fruit there was not much substance behind anything that was said in that movie so there you go round three <laughs> Round three is characters. I'll start with Viola. She she is the least ladylike person you will ever come across. She chews loudly. She hates ruffles. You know, she's a very athletic woman, and you would think that she could do a great job of pretending to be her brother because she doesn't have very ladylike mannerisms. However, she exaggerates a lot when she's expressing herself as a man. There is a clip where they're doing a drill of her soccer practice and viola asks sebastian gets hit in the crotch all the other dudes are waiting for her to react and then finally what she realizes what's happened she just yells and she's like oh it burns oh my god and that's not the way a guy acts when he gets hit in the junk i think we've all seen what happens they curl up into a ball and they can't even utter a complete sentence because they are they're groaning in agony Like I said with the dialogue too, it's not about being realistic, it's that all these actions that Viola takes on is just to make the audience laugh. And along with that exaggeration, you have other supporting characters that do the same thing. I don't know if they really act like this in real life, I feel like they're more stereotypes or caricatures, so think about Justin, who is the ex-boyfriend who doesn't believe Viola should join the boys club. You have Paul, who is a hairdresser, a gay man who is able to teach Viola how to become a man. You've got Daphne, who is Viola's mother, and then the craziest of them all is Monique, who is the real Sebastian's girlfriend. So full of herself, has such an attitude, it's just unreal. There is one character that I consider very underrated in this film, and that's Coach Dinklage. He's the hard-ass soccer coach for Illyria Academy, I believe he's British. He's very gruff, very aggressive, but he's progressive at the same time. I mean, when they do the shirts versus skins, Viola doesn't want to be a skin. She's got a sun allergy, and the coach accommodates that. And then in the end of the film, once they find out that Viola is actually a woman, the opposing team, the Cornwall team doesn't want her to play. They're like it's against the rules. He says screw the rules. We're progressive school. And And I thought that was great to have that, someone that's on her side. Now I feel just one of the guys has more realistic characters. Terry does a very convincing job as a male. We buy it. Like, she does everything from the voice head to toe, everything, very believable. There were those awkward moments where she's in the men's urinal, she's in the locker room with the guys, um, she tells Dabra how to fix her earring and then has to correct himself and say, you know, I have sisters. That's why I know this stuff. But overall, pretty comfortable. Buddy's funny. He's not an annoying younger brother, but he definitely does get on people's nerves. But he's still funny. I think he was one of the best ones because he had that right amount of entertainment going for him, even though he's just on this quest to just get laid. Rick, absolutely nice guy. Denise great sidekick for Terry. You've got the bully Greg Tolan and then you've got Kevin the rich boyfriend. There's not much else I can say about them. I wasn't a fan of the caricatures of she's the man. They really went over the top in trying to be as absurd as possible and it didn't work for me. The other thing too, Duke, the love interest to Viola is not dynamic. Here's the thing, he has these conversations with Viola pretending to be Sebastian, but there's no depth to them. I don't know how she cares for him other than having good looks because they don't go into any details about his family life. Does he have any music he likes? Does he have like a special interest in World War II documentaries? We don't know anything about him, but we do know a lot about Rick. He's been in seven schools for the past three years. He lost his virginity soon after his father's death, and he loves James Brown. There's more interest there, and he makes a better love interest than Duke. So that point I also give to just one of the guys. Round four. Round four is cast and crew. And sometimes I forget to bring up writers and directors when I'm doing this round, but I'm going to bring them up first. Now for just one of the guys, this was directed by Lisa Gottlieb, Unfortunately, she doesn't have a very stellar resume. She hasn't done very many films uh, before or after just one of the guys. This is probably one of the biggest things that she's done. However, the writers are more accomplished. So the screenplay was written by Dennis Feldman and Jeff Franklin. You might not recognize these names, so I'll tell you some other writing credits that they had. Dennis Feldman was a screenwriter for the Species film franchise, You guys might be familiar with that. Natasha Henstridge, those movies. And then Jeff Franklin, prolific TV writer and executive producer. He's got his name on some big sitcoms over the years. Laverne Shirley, Bosom Buddies, Hanging with Mr. Cooper, Full House, Fuller House. He has made millions off all of those shows. Probably one of the most high-profile screenwriters that we have in this debate. Now let's talk about the cast. So Terry was played by Joyce Heiser, and again, like Lisa Gottlieb and some others, she doesn't have a huge resume. Last I heard, she's trying to get into screenwriting. She partnered up with someone and is trying to go through that route. We'll see how that goes. But interesting fact about Joyce, she was dating Bruce Springsteen at the time she was filming Just One of the Guys. Now, don't be alarmed. I know she was a teenager in this movie, but I believe she was 28 years old at the time of filming. So no issue with, like, being underage or anything like that. And another actor is Billy Jane, who plays Buddy. And it was funny, when I first watched this when I was a kid, I felt like he was related to Kirk and Candace Cameron. Like, there's something about his face. Maybe it's the eyes, the boyish looks. He looked like he could be a brother to Kirk and Candace, except he didn't find God. I don't think you would see him on a left-behind, film series or anything like that. I believe the actor himself is Jewish, but it took me a while to actually look into this guy's life and realize no relation at all whatsoever. But the most recognizable actor in this movie is William Zabka, Johnny Lawrence. This is just a string of movies that he did in the 80s where he was the bad boy, and he was for sure the bad boy in this one. Let's go on to She's the Man. So the director here is Andy Fickman, And one of the most notable things that he has done over the years, he produced and I believe he wrote for the TV show, Kevin Can Wait. One of the screenwriters for this film and the person that came up with the story was a man by Ewan Leslie. And I don't know much about this particular Ewan Leslie, but there is another Ewan Leslie that exists in this planet and he is an accomplished Australian actor. So if you're familiar with Ewan Leslie, don't get those two confused. Okay. But the more successful of the writers are the other two, Kristen Smith and Karen McCullough. This is a writing team that has been around for a long time. They've done a lot of comedies over, well, I should say they've done successful comedies over the 90s and the aughts. So they're both responsible for Legally Blonde. And now we know that there's a Legally Blonde 3 coming out and they're attached to that project. They've also written the screenplay for The House Bunny, 10 Things I Hate About You, also inspired by a Shakespeare play, and Ella Enchanted. So there you go. Now I'm going to talk about three actors that you definitely recognize in this movie. First, there's Amanda Bynes. And she was definitely cast for this movie because of her comedic abilities. She did sketch comedy when she was younger. I hope you guys remember the show All That. But I think this was her vehicle to do some really good comedy because of what she's done in the past. You also have David Cross and to be honest with you that role that he played as the principal I felt didn't need to be there at all I don't know the purpose of his character I know he helps with the big reveal at the end about Viola maybe to add more uh, comedy to this movie I don't know but you could do with or without him but the biggest star Channing Tatum and this is the start of his rise where he is now. He is a superstar. He's done a lot of incredible films over the years but it started in 2006. So he did this movie She's the Man the same year is when he did Step Up. This was a very good year for Channing Tatum and that just launched him into the popular figure he is today. And I think just for that reason because Channing Tatum is in this movie I'm gonna give the point to She's the Man. And something I didn't bring up when I mentioned Jeff Franklin before I'm bringing it up now. He is a piece of crap. From what I was reading, he got fired from Fuller House a couple of years ago because several people on that set had said that he would say very inappropriate things about women, about people of color, very awful things, very sexist. Of course, he denies all of it, but that'll get settled soon. But I have a hard time thinking that a lot of people would make up the things that he said. Round five. Round five is music. I looked up the soundtrack to both films, and for She's the Man, there are 26 songs on this soundtrack. I really believe that there was always a song playing throughout the entire film. Now, let me give you some of the names of the people that contributed to the soundtrack. I don't have songs, and I apologize, but I do have the artist's. You have Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Shaggy, Slightly Stupid, Chally Tuna, Goldfrap, The Veronicas, OAR, The All-American Rejects, OK Go, and Ray LaMontagne. All of these artists come from different genres. You've got r you've got folk, you've got rock. All of you will ha- at least identify with one of those artists. You would at least recognize one of those names. I don't know if I have much more to say about that, except that They did use a wide variety of genres and it supported more of the story in that respect. Now, Just One of the Guys, of course, is set in the 80s. All of these songs are very much in the style of 80s music. Um, The only two artists that I recognized well, there were three, but two of them I want to bring out right now Iggy Pop and the Stooges and Lindsey Buckingham, formerly of Fleetwood Mac. I think there are about 12 to 16 songs on this soundtrack and I actually looked up every single one of the songs on Spotify. They are not available. Only the ones I mentioned from Iggy Pop and from Lindsey Buckingham. I believe the most popular song that Lindsey did as a solo artist was Trouble, and that was featured in this film. There is a theme song to this movie. There is a song called Just One of the Guys, and that was performed by an RB group called Shalimar. And this is what I want to highlight here. Shalimar was an r and group Back in the 70s and 80s and they have contributed some songs to some really successful films in the 80s they contributed a song to Footloose and I'm sorry I don't have the names in front of me and then they also contributed a song to Beverly Hills Cop in fact they got a Grammy Award for the song that they introduced in that movie now not only is Shalimar known for their music they're also known for their dancing one of the main figures of that group his name is Jeffrey Daniel He made famous a dance move called Body Poppin'. And so if you go online, you'll see some of his dance moves, and he's quite impressive. He is so impressive, he got the attention of Michael Jackson. Jeffrey Daniel did a performance on Top of the Pops, and he introduced the moonwalk. The moonwalk didn't exist, or some form of it did, but it wasn't called the moonwalk, but this was the first time on national TV that someone is doing this dance move. Michael Jackson asked Jeffrey to teach him how to do that and then soon after that he goes onto TV and you have that very famous uh, live stage performance where he does the moonwalk and that just solidifies his his legacy right there and that's because Jeffrey Daniel showed him how to do it and they created a working relationship after that. I believe Jeffrey uh, choreographed two of Michael's music videos bad and uh smooth criminal and then michael went to a Shalimar concert he brought his younger sister janet to come with him to go to the show and meet the guys and that was impressive that was the most uh impressive things that i found out about as i was doing research for this debate despite that she's the man is going to get the point because there are many more artists that i'm familiar with that are more successful than any from just one of the guys enough said round six Round six is production. Pretty much everything from just one of the guys except the very final scene. It was filmed on location in Arizona. So you've got Hole in the Rock. I've been to it. It's a real cool hiking trail. And that's where they have the scene where Sandy and her cousin are meeting up with Terry and Rick. There are also two schools that are featured. They were given fictional names, but the real names of the schools that were filmed at were Coronado High School And Scottsdale High School. Now fun fact about Coronado, my husband taught there for a year and he couldn't identify anything that he saw in the movie because there was probably remodeling. This was 35 years ago that this film took place so I'm sure exteriors have changed so he didn't really recognize it but he has worked there at that location. Scottsdale High School no longer exists and in fact the school shut down at the time that they were filming this movie And shortly after that, they demolished the whole thing so they could, they could build up some commercial properties there. So Scottsdale High is no longer around. Now this is something I was confused about at first. I was rereading the plot to this movie before rewatching it. And it said that this film took place in Phoenix. But one thing I remembered about watching this movie before is that the prom scene takes place at a beach. But Phoenix is a desert. There are no beaches in Phoenix. There are no big bodies of water other than uh, Tempe Town Lake, and that wasn't created until the 90s. But then, something they mentioned in the movie was that they reserved Big Surf Water Park. And that's when I realized, okay, this did get filmed in Arizona. Big Surf Water Park is located, I don't know if it's technically South Scottsdale or North Tempe, but it's on the east part of the Phoenix metropolitan area. I would drive by that park every single day when I'd go to work and back. I lived there for about six years and so pretty familiar with that park. I know where it's at. Never went inside. Never never went to the water park. But now I can confirm that there was a beach and it was filmed there on location. Now, She's the Man, I don't think they specified exactly where the story was taking place Like, you have those two schools, you have Cornwall and Illyria, but I don't know what town they're located in. That felt very East Coast to me. That felt very elitist, like New England or somewhere around that area. So I'm going to assume that that's where the story was supposed to be taking place, but they actually filmed this in Vancouver, British Columbia. And a lot of films and TV shows have been filmed in Vancouver. And one of the reasons is because there are tax breaks the area is very friendly to movie and tv production so a lot of people go up to canada to do that they can't do that right now but they used to and it's diverse you can have something that you can say take place in one city but it actually is uh, in vancouver and you wouldn't know the difference so you have this movie taking place in new england but it's filmed in vancouver i don't have anything else to say about production I do appreciate the fact that Just One of the Guys is filmed in Phoenix. I was having a discussion earlier, I don't know why there weren't many more films in Phoenix, maybe because it's just unbearably hot or there's not enough culture there to set a story. My goal one of these days is to have something take place in Phoenix. So I'm giving the point to Just One of the Guys. And now on to round seven. Round 7 is Legacy. For She's the Man, I feel like the thing that we're going to remember most out of anything in the film is that it starred Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum. Amanda Bynes has been going through some stuff lately, and I think she's kind of coming around now. She's on the mend. Hopefully she can get things back to normal. But she had this great career early on. She did a lot of these teen comedies. She had the timing. She fully committed to just being as silly as possible. And people loved her for that. So hopefully she can capture that in movies going forward. If she ever wants to or gets the opportunity to do acting again. And like I said earlier, Channing Tatum is now a superstar. And it started with 2006. Actually, for me, it started with... The Mountain Dew commercial that he did. Like I just never forgot that face ever since then. But as far as his acting goes, it started with Step Up and She's the Man. So when we look back and think about his body of work, that movie is going to come up. So the legacy here has more to do with those two actors than anything else. Now for just one of the guys, I don't think you know, Entertainment Weekly put this as one of its top uh fifty teen movies of all time, teen comedies, I wanna I wanna say to be more specific. I don't know about that. I don't know many other people that have watched this movie, but it's one of those that I still remember watching when I was much younger. Because it came on TV a lot. I was feeling uncomfortable seeing nudity because Terry had to show off her boobs, but he had all these Playboy posters put up in his room, and I just didn't get any of that, and I didn't know what the purpose of any of it was. It didn't matter to me. But what stood out was that this was the first time... I witnessed cross-dressing in a movie. I found it very interesting that a girl like Terry, such a pretty girl, was willing to do something so unique and so outrageous as to dress up as a guy to get what she wants. I had never seen anything like that. But now that I'm more familiar with movies and TV, I know that that's not a novelty anymore. There are many other instances where that's happened. But at the time, it left an imprint on me because I was so young. So the legacy to me, I believe, is not as important as as the legacy for these actors that we're familiar with, Amanda Vines and Channing Tatum. So I'll give the point to She's the Man. And I believe that is the end of the debate. If you kept score, it was four to three, just one of the guys, the winner. Now, I feel like within these recent years, there has been more discussion about gender identity and also gender equality. But I think for the time being, I think we're still going to have movies that have this type of storyline where a girl is disguising herself as a guy. I mean, we just had a live action remake of of Mulan. But the reason why there's still going to be a need for that story is because gender inequality still exists. Some people don't believe it still exists, but it does. We still have wage gaps. We still have women getting passed over for promotions over men. And so you have women everywhere continuing to fight, continuing to demand to be treated as equals along with the men. But if we still have this inequality existing, then we'll likely see more Twelfth Night knockoffs in the future. Okay, everyone. You can reach me at semifieldwriter at gmail.com. My website is semifieldwriter.com. Instagram, Twitch, at semifieldwriter. That is all I have for today. I hope all of you will have a lovely two weeks and I will talk to you again very soon. Take care.